What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It, your weekly movie podcast for things that have been rebooted, remade, sequelized, adapted, or otherwise unoriginal and not new. As always, I'm your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is my co-host, Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And our special guest, Justin Donaldson. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And thanks for coming on. I know it's very hard to get anywhere these days <laughs> as we enter uh, week whatever of social distancing. I've even stopped giving up the like, oh, and we're doing this. So if there's audio problems now, I'm like, they know. They don't care. You know care. what this is. Yeah. They understand. Yeah, it is what it is now. Well, it's the same way. Whatever everyone's we... used to. I know. And everyone, it's, it's, but uh, once again, as a result of that same pandemic, there are no new movies. But it is the 20th anniversary of the first, well, the first isn't correct, and we'll talk about that, but the, <laughs> the miracle of the modern superhero movie, and in some people's eyes, the first great superhero adaptation, the original X-Men movie came out 20 years ago and is celebrating its anniversary, so I thought we would take a look back and discuss how we felt about it then, how we feel about it now, and how it adapted these characters and got us to where we are. Terrence, would you like to start us off? How did you feel about the movie when you first saw it? Um, yeah, I'll start off. I was a kid in candy store when this first one came out because um, we really didn't have, we had no type of superhero movies on. Blade existed, but Blade did everything humanly possible to ignore the fact that it was a Marvel film. <laughs> so it never really mentioned it and you really didn't know it. And it was completely different than what the iteration they had in comics was too. So this is the first time that you actually got something that uh, more or less resembled or tried to resemble what was on the comics. And I, I remember absolutely adoring this film. I saw it in the theaters at least a good five or six times. Like I, I can remember the theme song. I can recite this, some of the verbiage in this from front to back. Uh, and watching it at that time, I thought that we had finally arrived. Was, oh, we actually have comic book movies now. This is, this is now a good time. Needless to say, I did not know that 20 years later we would be seeing like Thanos on screen, but <laughs> that, that was a very small pebble uh, in, in, in the lake at that point in time. And, but watching it now, I sit here, I'm like, oh, I, I definitely was watching this with some rose-colored glasses at that point in time, because there's a lot of things that you can tell budget-wise this film wasn't just capable of doing. Um, but at the time, I adored it. Justin, how did you feel about it when you first saw it? I wouldn't say that I disliked it, but I definitely didn't like it. Uh, well, those are really the options there, liking and disliking. <laughs> it just kind of was what it was, you know? Like, it's funny because I have no recollection of seeing this movie. Like, I know I saw it, but, like, when it comes to almost every other superhero movie, like, I remember, oh, we, I went with these friends to this movie theater and... So even if I don't have like fond memories of the movie, I at least have fond memories of the experience. Mm -hmm. And I just have like no memories of this. <laughs> I, I like I wasn't excited for it. 
And I love the X-Men. Uh, I think at the time that this came out in 2000, I had been reading the book for probably 15 years. Um, I think this... And we lost him. Justin will hopefully come back on the Zoom. Here he is. Oh, are you back? Did I lose you guys? You yeah, popped out right at... Uh, you were saying you had been reading the book for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I've been reading the book for 15 years. And... Uh, I didn't even, like, really love the animated series... I, I guess I'm I'm <laughs> I'm kind of hypercritical when it comes to these comic book franchises being turned into other forms of media because I feel like it's rarely the adaptation is rarely ever done as well as the original comics. So it's kind of like, well, I'd rather just read the original comics than watch the movie, you know? And I feel like X-Men kind of started that for me where looking back, and even like back then, this movie really started the trend of getting as far away from the comic book yeah, I, I, I know where he was going. I know he just dropped out, but yeah, there is a lot of that with this first X-Men where they're like, we're going to do everything humanly possible to say that we're X-Men, but at the same time, we're going to disassociate ourselves with some of the, a lot of the things that make that comic book work. Well, and it was one of the, because I loved it, and I saw this movie with my dad and my uncle. I was 10 at the time, or maybe 11, because I'm 31 now. And I remember walking out just amazed. And that was probably around the age where it was very easy to be amazed. Yes. I had just seen The Matrix. I had just seen X-Men. I had just watched T2's like home release. The things that I was seeing at that age were so expanding. And it was also mm -hmm. one of the first properties that I grew up with the cartoon and the comics and then saw on the big screen. And I was so comfortable with just accepting the changes because it was one of the first movies that just kind of told the audience they weren't going to be accurate. Very specifically when Cyclops goes, well, what did you want to wear? Yellow spandex? Yeah. And we all were like, he's right. It wouldn't work. That would look so weird on screen. And it was funny because I just sort of took that in stride and was like, he's right. He's right. It would be silly to do that. And now I just rewatched it this week for the anniversary and for this podcast. And I kind of said to myself, yes, yes, Cyclops. That is what I would prefer. That's exactly what I want to wear. I want you in your yellow spandex. I want you with your yellow visor. Why, why are we all wearing Matrix colors? What's happening right now? But one thing I really appreciate about it now, and now that Justin's back, I'll circle back to what he was saying in a minute, but it's one of the only superhero movies that I can think of, along with like the original 89 Batman, that doesn't spend a lot of time on an origin. We sort of just show up, 
mutants exist. The team is active. They've been active. And even like Wolverine has been around Wolverining for some time. So they're, they kind of trust you to understand these characters where I feel like we got further away from that and we had to spend, and I love the Nolan Batman movies and I even love the training montage, but he's not really Batman until the end of that movie. And Iron Man isn't really Iron Man until the end of that movie. And it is kind of exciting to just show up and Magneto's here and Xavier's here. And I remember at 10, even like opening with the Holocaust almost made me feel like I shouldn't be in the theater. And it was one of the first like kids to teenage movies where I was like, ooh, we're really dealing with some serious things here. Yeah, it's a gutsy, it was a gutsy way to open a film at that point in time, especially a, a summer comic book movie. But uh, it was a choice that I think it worked considering that because their budget was so low, this movie also has literally no action sequences in it for a, for a, a comic book movie. Well, it's so funny. To... Yeah, because you you get like Wolverine and, and Sabretooth doing what is now a very goofy, like tet for tat on the it's Statue of clunky. Liberty. Yeah, it's super clunky. Toad's moving around like he's Spider-Man with his tongue. <laughs> and yeah, you you never really get a like brotherhood of mutants versus the X-Men. You get like a one-on-one with Wolverine and Mystique. You get right. a one-on-one, but everything else is sort of, oh, they've locked up the X-Men and only Wolverine could get out and he has to go do this. And they don't have that big third act action set piece, that modern superhero movies have which yeah. makes it much more of a dramatic piece like you really it have is. to crank up the magnet and some of the stuff they do is tense enough without that action like one of my favorite sequences is magneto holding all the guns and the well i don't think i can stop them all charles and it's those moments that make the movie i think so memorable the opening uh, is my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Like, when I feel like I could have watched a whole movie of young Magneto. We were supposed to get that. That was one of the, <laughs> yeah. when they announced the origins, it was Magneto and Wolverine who were going to get it. And then we know how that story ended with Wolverine. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, the opening sequence that and the intro from Marie, I, I loved everything up until actually they get to the mansion. Like I loved all of that. Like Marie kissing the boy and, and like uh, being a teenage girl and all of a sudden her life just changes it up to the point where she's in the car sequence with Logan. But once Sabretooth hits that, knocks the tree off, I'm like, okay, now this is getting a little weird. Now this is becoming something that I, I don't think at this time they were ready to put on screen yet because I think everything before yeah. that felt like comic property and then we got to a point like oh we haven't hit the point where the budget or what they're doing story-wise have they're tr- they're able to recreate on film yet um yeah I think you nailed it completely like that's exactly how I felt like it wasn't they it, it, we didn't have the technology yet for them to fully do the movie that I wanted yeah um and then and like like you brought up how they were locking people away and doing this that's probably all budgets because the one character that they can do all of their effects perfectly fine with budget wise is wolverine because it's going to be mostly punch punch kick slash but we can't have scott doing all of this and blanking out a whole wall or storm going crazy because her powers we don't have the money for 
And I appreciate how creative they got with some of that filmmaking. Like, I like yeah. that the way you get Scott to not do anything is to take off the visor and then point him at Gene. And you just right. make him that gun. I think that's very clever. But even, you know, smaller things of like, well, why, why is Gene stuck in this? She's like, that was what I was thinking this time is I was like, okay, there's literally a whole moment in X3 where Magneto explains like, oh, I can do anything with metal, but you can do anything with anything. And you go back to that beat and you're, it sort of feels as if she should have been able to get out of that. And there's your gene. And you have two characters who are not confined by being bound by something. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, that should take him off the board, but get a little bit more clever with how you get Aurora and Gene off. And even some little things that I, I felt like they assumed you knew if you were a fan, the, the love triangle with Logan and Scott this time around, I, I really was like, he really is just rolling into this mansion and being like, the redhead is mine. I'm taking Cyclops. her. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you got to sit next to Cyclops every day? They've been together for years, Wolverine. You are a homewrecker. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we rooting for you? Yeah. You just showed in, you insulted a handicapped person, <laughs> you made fun of Storm's plight, and then you tried to steal someone's girlfriend. Why is this team supporting you? <laughs> uh, it, it, talking about like the budgetary constraints, it, it felt to me very much like another movie that people love that I have kind of indifference to, and that's the original Ninja Turtles movie where both of both this first X-Men movie and the original Ninja Turtles movie both seemed to me like they were forced into this little box by their budget. And I, it always like makes me wonder why you even make the movie, where when you're making a comic book, you can do literally anything you want with... <laughs> anything uh <laughs> yeah. whatever you can draw you can make so taking something from that medium where you can do anything with it to a medium where you need a lot of money to do anything with it makes both the x-men movie and the ninja turtle movie to me feel kind of boxed in and those are two examples of movies that i feel like you're right because you don't get you know the turtles and I love that first movie so very much. Yeah. But it's not the animated movie. It's it's the gritty version of it. it this is the gritty version of the X-Men. It's not like the fun, bright cartoon. There's almost a... And I know the original Turtles comic was also dark and gritty and yada, yada, yada. But there's not as much of that like weird, wacky fun. But there's so much like indie filmmaking heart in both of those movies and those are now the moments for all the little bits of the new X-Men that I don't think have aged great. Or even when you look at it now with where we are, where everything matters and every moment connects and the X-Men kind of got hit in the shoulder by the stuff it inspired, where by the time it kind of rebooted itself, it also needed to be a universe. So yeah. when like First Class and Days of Futures passed and even Origins showed up, Sabretooth and Wolverine have this relationship that then when you get to the X-Men 1 isn't addressed at all. They just kind <laughs> of impose on each other. 
And now watching it, he like takes Logan's dog tags and then Logan takes them back. And I'm like, man, if they could have just had one line of, of them being in war together or something, that relationship would have been way stronger. It's now these small missed opportunities and you can tell that yeah. Brian Singer wanted to make an Xavier, a Magneto and a Wolverine movie. Because I mean, those are the highlights. It's definitely a franchise that as it's gotten bigger and it's added more, it sort of started to fall in on itself because some things just don't tie together or work out as well. Um, I also think that this, as as ahead of its time and behind the time as this X-Men, this first one was, it also has hamstrung them into a situation where the rest of the series has to live in this quasi-realistic world instead of just going for broke and being super comic booky. It's like, oh no, we still have to kind of play, keep our foot in the water or toe in the water, and sort of not go as wild as we have we want to. And yeah, I, I don't know why the franchise never just abandoned the idea of continuity because they yeah. really boxed themselves yeah. into these Correct. weird holes. Correct. Um, and I think that at some point in time, but basically they could have done it with first class. It was like, like, let's just erase all of that stuff that happened before this doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, and we're going to just go for broke for here. That would have been the best time to do it. And instead they kind of <laughs> doubled down on the fact that like, nope, these guys are now playing the younger version of them. No, no. We're in that same world. We're going to force this to work. <laughs> right. And it's going to be fine. And sometimes it does. Like, it's still a franchise that when it hits, it hits so hard. And then when it misses, it, there's no middle ground X movie. No. It no. is either, like, the, the best superhero movie of all time, or why would I ever watch this CGI mess again? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I and love I the second movie. The Absolutely. second movie oh, is second, the best. Yeah, second movie is fantastic. It's one of my and favorite the, superhero movies. Correct. Um, it yeah it's just it's wonderful it's such a fun movie to watch it's but funny i, I always treat I, felt that way again with the next movie <laughs> i think first class is the next time that i actually felt that way but yeah i, I sort of agree with that like i i think um i always i still to this day i always look at x-men the, the 2001 as just a, a prequel movie to like a, or a prologue to what X-Men 2 is. Cause I, I think if you try to, if you dig into the X-Men 1, there's a lot of just just issues with the way that this film is structured. Like there's 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 85% drama and only about 25 of it actually hits and works. And you're like, oh, oh, we're, this film's not nearly as, as tight as I, I once thought it was. And it feels longer than it actually is only an hour and 40 minutes, but it feels like I'm watching a two hour, 10 minute flick just because some things are just slow paced and so slow moving. Um, but that's just the sort of the, the process of that flick. Uh, it does not, it is aged well as it could, but it was already sort of aged at the point of time that it came out. Like two years later, Spider-Man comes out and you're like, whoa, crap, they're doing that. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's funny because I was, I was really thinking about, and this will probably be my, my next kind of small topic for us. This idea that it was the, the start of where we are now. And I think a lot of people forget that bef between X-Men, Spider-Man, Iron Man, and The Dark Knight was about a decade of complete trash. <laughs> that this well, movie I didn't... Think, I think some of the darkness, I, I think a lot of the darkness in this movie and a lot of the drama and a lot of the like plain black 
costumes and stuff is kind was kind of a pushback on the Schumacher Batman movies. Yes. Like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin had taken comic book genre in such like a weird wacky mm-hmm. road that and were kind of critical failures and i think that batman and robin was kind of a box office failure if i remember forever wasn't forever was a smash yeah batman and Um, robin should have made more money than any of them that was a 90s hit you had alicia silverstone schwarzenegger uma thurman they had all just had giant movies yeah how much did I, i think this was this really was like we have to go as far in the opposite direction as possible with our next big comic franchise. Correct. So you have these very bland outfits. You have these very grounded storylines um, where my favorite kind of comic book movies kind of lay somewhere between X-Men and Batman and Robin. Yeah, there's a sweet spot that I think, um, for the most part nowadays, the MCU seems to hit, but there is a sweet spot that they just didn't have back then. And just to, like, I think for me as an X Men fan, both comics and book wise and cartoon wise, I, I don't think I've actually ever seen an accurate portrayal of what I think those comics do in film yet. And that's, and we've had like what seven, ten, twelve films now. <laughs> yeah, I think when you start looking at it as an adaptation of the work, some of the characters get done right. Like when you look at how they've adapted Magneto and Xavier, I would say that that's very close in mm-hmm. line with the original comics and who they were and how they acted and what they did. But <clears throat> Cyclops the team, even like Nightcrawler. And I love that opening in X2. But when I think about the Nightcrawler in like the comic books that I love of him, he's a very hopeful, optimistic character who does have this religious background and, and, and always kind of is plucky and swashbuckling. And they made him so super angsty. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. But I, I kind of want my like adventurous character. Like you want to get him and Gambit on the screen, like having a good time and fighting a Sentinel. And I think about the like Night of the Sentinels animated episode and how they kind of were like just having a good time at the mall. And mm-hmm. we tried to put that into Apocalypse and that movie just wasn't good. No, because everything else around it sucked. Yeah, I, I think... I, especially that first trilogy with the oh, with the Hugh Jackman and Femke era, you think about it that X, those X Men always seemed dour. They were never ex- happy or excited about anything that they were doing. They're kind of just like, oh, you know, this is what we do. Top side, so no, always and dour. We and, didn't get a. I don't think we got a superhero that had fun being a superhero until Iron Man, because really after this, you got the Spider Man saga, which was, you know. He gives up in Spider-Man 2, and then he broods his way through Spider-Man 3. And and dances. Don't forget, he dances there, too. We never really (laughs) see him, like, web-swinging and having a good time. We do a little bit, but 
And then you've got like Daredevil where he's just just so sad and you've got <laughs> Ghost Rider and I can't oh, even I think of other... I always forget about Daredevil. I always forget you, about you that. We all should. <laughs> it's bad. People yeah. like that director's cut, but I assure you it it's is just, just longer. a longer bad movie. <laughs> oh, so it's... It's weird also thinking about it in that context. I think the other thing that now happens is we go, X-Men started the superhero phenomenon. You guys are a little bit older than I am. Do you feel like this is true, or do you think it really started in 89 or 77 or somewhere in between where we really figured this out? Hmm. I mean, or is there a line in the sand of like Batman and Robin killed it, and we had to come back five years later with this? And yeah, because I mean, I definitely was in the era where Steel exists as a comic book movie, and that was hot trash. I do think that it died for a little bit in the '90s. Uh, there was an era yeah. where it, they they just went all went to shit, um, and so uh between it's somewhere between blade and and, and x-men one where i do think they are like the grandfather and, the, and the, the father of what has become the modern superhero um but i still say that like the donner superman is still one of the better like adaptations of what that that means now granted they ran that into the freaking ground once they started doing three and four but like the first first two well, one and a half before Donner was removed, was removed, but the Donner cut though, is great. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, those are kind of yeah. I mean, I would, I'm superhero flicks. I'm uh, yeah. I feel like that's the Donner Superman is still the definitive superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't. I was too young to. I guess I wasn't born yet when it came out, so I don't know too much about like the cultural impact but for batman 89 that was just like massive like you couldn't go, you could go anywhere in 1989 without yeah. batman it was just this insane phenomenon um yeah that i it think a- I, I probably wouldn't see again until like phantom menace yeah, that Batman '89 was a cult. Like, like you were too young. Like, it was a cultural phenomenon. It was nuts because I, I remember that was the first midnight show that I ever went to. Was Batman '89? My brother. Really? Like, yeah, my first midnight show was Batman '89, and that place was packed. It was like a rock concert in that that freaking place. But my brother took me, and I actually remember because obviously, first time you're seeing. Batman, you have Jack Nicholson, who was like a, a, a megastar at that point in time. But then you add on the fact, like there's the whole Prince aspect, like Prince is doing the soundtrack. So that adds in a whole, like it was just a just a groundswell of, for that film. And uh, like I said, that rock concert that night was one of the best movie experiences that I've ever, to this day, one of the best movie experiences that I've ever had in a theater was that Batman 89. I think, I think that Jack Nicholson and Prince's involvement with it really, like, legitimized it. Yeah. Like, it brought it to a whole new audience. Like, you, superhero movies, especially prior to the Donner Superman, were always really, really looked down upon. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Nicholson being involved, you had this actor who wasn't just a big box office star, he was a critically acclaimed actor. And I 
feel like casting him brought a lot of weight to it. And then having Prince be involved, one of the best artists ever, uh, brought another level of legitimacy to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny going all the way down that road because now you get here and now we're in, now the, the X-Men movies have now come almost full circle in that it's dead. The new mutants <laughs> will never come out, although it should just come out on VOD. Yeah. And now the conversation, which I think is happening too soon, is how will this get into the MCU and what will Marvel do now that the X-Men are home? And I am very much of the opinion we should wait a while, like even more than we- take, take a decade off. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since you're, you're making all these other things. Uh, I, I think you lean yourself. You have time to take your time with this one. It, it's it's funny though. I I was in that same boat with you and with Justin and Blake because I I thought that too until this summer happened and with the way that the civil rights stuff has happened with Black Lives Matter, I feel like that is the X Men. Like that literally is what the X-Men have all been about. I feel like now would be the time if, if, if Disney played it correct. Now, the only problem is it's in Disney's hands. So they're going to make it a disney version of that, which gets a little, that gets a little muddy. Um, a lot of times they get in their own way. But if they just went for it, the whole thing that the X-Men are about are about civil rights. You are, that is what this world is. It's the perfect time to replicate that. I just don't know if Disney is the right group do that correctly. That's the other interesting part is we're now going to kind of boil down what a studio like 20th Century Fox would make. And you now look at kind of fitting that into the MCU and they haven't really made a, they've made more mature movies. I think of Black Panther and Endgame and yeah. And, and even like Age of Ultron has some higher themes. But we, you know, this was kind of a big thing when 20th Century Fox went away is a lot of people went, well, what's going to happen to these great R-rated franchises like Predator and Aliens and Die Hard? And, and they were about to make a horror movie with the X-Men characters. And would Disney even ever consider making something like New Mutants? Would they ever consider making something like Logan? Or are we now going to get a just like, they're just like the Avengers, except society doesn't care. Because even Spider-Man hasn't really gotten into the, like, he's a menace and everyone hates him until now with the end of Far From Home. Right. So we, we've never really made a world yet where, like, society hates the superheroes in a Disney movie. And I think when you've established Civil War and Captain America and Iron Man and the Hulk and these, they're heroes already to everybody it's going to be really hard to now introduce mutants and be like, society hates them. Yeah. I mean, they look, think the they're MCU different. are popcorn movies. Mm-hmm. They're, it, 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 it's a lot of flashbang, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of depth there. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I don't see them being able to capture that in a movie. I, I just, I, I, it's, because even, even if you gave it to like 
a young black filmmaker who could bring out those kind of stories, the movie would still ultimately go through the MCU machine and be turned into whatever, like, most marketable thing they can produce on the other end. Yeah, because I mean, like, with Panther, there are some very heady stuff in there, and there's some very heady lines, like the whole bury me at the sh- uh, in the sea with my ships, I'd rather do that. Like, that is stuff that only Ryan Coogler would be like, I'm going to put this in and see if Disney lets me get away with it. And they're like, oh, they did. Cool. But at the same time, Disney is like, cool. Well, the third act of this is going to have to basically be like Star Wars Phantom Menace. And that's what I don't want because, <laughs> you know, to Justin's earlier point, we now have the budget and the CGI and the ability to create like a giant splash page sequence with Sentinels or the Brotherhood or something. And I'm like, great, we can finally get one of these big action moments that I want. But with the X-Men, especially with a decade of hit or miss, but movies that at least took risks um, sometimes, we're not, are we, we're not probably going to take those risks. And I don't know that even after a decade of success, if the MCU is really ready to grow up, quote unquote, but they might be blades also in the pipeline. And I don't know yeah. how you do that without making it R. and <laughs> right. I don't know how you do a lot of these things that they're now talking about. Like they want this doctor strange Two to be more of a horror movie. And I, I don't know if you, like if you can give me something in the tone of the winter soldier and really give me some, I was going to say, that's the one that that's the best way to kind of balance out the, the heady stuff with the comic book stuff. That was the film. And I mean, again, the Russo's kind of been doing that actively on all three of their films, but more so that one uh, and in game than, Civil War is a little bit too comic booky, but yes, the, the the idea is still there. They're the those are the directors that kind of know how to balance it out a little bit better. But they're gone away for a while. They're not they're not playing in this yard, so they're not going to play with X. And um, nor what I would would I want the same voice to do every single like there has to be someone else in there too playing in that yard. Right. Is there? This will be my last question, and then we'll probably wrap up. Is there a storyline you would want them to adapt into the MCU that we didn't see that we can get like straight from the pages now? It can be Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix. We can try again with the things that aren't working. I feel like Phoenix needs to be put on all 25 year pause. We never need to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Never <laughs> again. Um, yeah, no, that one is not. I would love to see. It's funny because I know Magneto is so ingrained in what they do, but I would love to see a different villain start off for the MCU. Like if you put Mr. Sinister in there as opposed to Magneto for their first one, that would probably be a better, just because I think this audience, I think the other thing is like with Spider-Man, like with Batman, and that's why these new Spider-Mans are working so well because they're using different villains. You got to change it up because these people who've been watching all these films have not died off and they are still here. You need to not give them the exact same thing over again because they're going to be like, no, I don't want that. You see Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Amazing Spider-Man, I'm good. I don't want to watch these. Yeah, it's, uh, I can only think of things I don't want. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I, let's take a break from Magneto. I, I, I don't want Apocalypse again. Like, I'm, I'm tired of these Thanos-esque uh, giant bad guys. Like, let's see, let's see some other stuff. Let's see a smaller 
smaller story, maybe. Yeah. I just want Genosha and a Sentinel. That's all I really want. It can be one big Sentinel coming to Genosha, and that can be the movie. And then I'll be fine. <laughs> and I want weird mutants. <laughs> yes, I, I do also want my mutants to not all... Uh, that was the first thing that I noticed when I watched this film again, is that they all, outside of Storm, are all, at the surface, while they are mutants, are all white, straight white folks. Uh, yeah. I think you need to weird this stuff up and kind of just go go for broke. Like, they're mutants. You almost need to treat the X-Men like Star Trek does their their characters and their aliens, just litany it up with everything. Purple people, green, like, I need everything on screen so that people have a better representation of what the X-Men are and what actually is happening in the U.S. and the world. Terrence, are you saying that a movie with thematics and civil rights shouldn't just have straight white characters in it? They might should change it up a little bit. Put some pepper in there. Preposterous. <laughs> um, all right, guys. I, think I, that's don't know where, I, I don't know where you're getting this civil rights stuff. From what I understand, these movies are an allegory for pedophilia. <laughs> Could Brian be. Singer was like, I'm tired of being an outcast. I'm going to yeah. show the world that I'm just like everyone else. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's all. <laughs> That's the other thing that this series needs to actively get away from. Anything related to Brian Singer. <laughs> yeah. No, no. He can go away forever. Uh, so, Justin, my last question for you. Have you you've revisited the movie? Have you warmed up to it? Are you still kind of whatever about it? Yeah, I'm still kind of whatever about it. Um, <laughs> I tried watching it yesterday for the first time since I saw it in the theater. And How about you, Terrence? Are you still, you're still feeling good? Always best. Just like, uh, uh, the opening scene really pulled me in, just like it did back when I first saw it. And then after that, the rest of the movie just kind of left me a little cold. Terrence, yeah. how about you? Um, I still like it for what it is. Um, I do like it a lot less than I did when I was uh, an 18-year-old and watching it. But um, I, I, th I see all the warts that it has, and I see how those warts got bigger as the series went along, and they didn't really ever course correct them. And that's what I was, oh, I see why this is this way or why, how we got to this point. But I think at the heart of it, I still lean on that opening sequence, well, the first opening 25 minutes. And I'm like, ah, that's when the, 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 the start of it or the thesis of these X-Men movies was all right there. I think I'm in the same boat. I now look at these great moments and these very good performances. And that's kind of all I need. I have a great memory with my uncle and my dad. I have a great time with some of these scenes. It's not something I put on all the time, but that's going to be our show, guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on facebook.com slash group slash Hollywood Already Did It, on Twitter at Hollywood ADI, on Instagram at Hollywood Already Did It. Terrence and I do another show called One More Drink. Justin and I do another show called How Do You Figure about action figure collecting that will have a Comic-Con panel on the 24th at 4 p.m. PST. Uh, you can find Terrence at Terrence Tatum. And Justin, where can people find you? Uh, I don't want people to find me, Blake. Great. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be it, guys. Stay safe and stay healthy. And uh, that's it. Thank you. Later. <laughs>